Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the Codcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. I'm here with my colleague, Bruce Mole, and we are talking today to the president of the Massachusetts State Senate, Stan Rosenberg. President Rosenberg, welcome to the Codcast. Thank you. Glad to have you here, and uh, just in time for a little discussion of the of the end of the session or or the results of the session that, that uh, the legislature just finished. And as it wrapped up the session, it did it sort of in a last minute flurry of activity, as we've all been reading, with several conference committee reports on major pieces of legislation flying onto the floor of both the House and the Senate for votes close to and even maybe a few minutes after the midnight Sunday deadline to adjourn. And you've said that some of the problem was that the Senate finally got bills only near the end of the two-year session yes. to work on. And last year, you spoke out on the issue of the committee structure in the legislature and argued that the process was not working well under the system of joint House-Senate committees because the House essentially holds all the cards since state reps make up the majority of the joint committees. And you said then that the Senate wanted to see some pretty significant reform of the system or was prepared to potentially even abandon the joint committee structure and form its own committees. Uh, the issue was put on hold as, as you worked through the business of the legislature during the last year, but you said that the Senate would take it up again once the uh, session was over. So I'm wondering now that it is, where, where all of that stands. So uh, we had a little bit of progress this term in that all of the bills did come out and uh, uh, almost all of the bills came out on Joint Rule 10 Day the way they're supposed to. There were far fewer bills uh, in extension orders, and uh, virtually all of the Senate bills did, in fact, come back to the Senate as we had asked, whether it was favorable or in study. Uh, that said, uh, the system really is not working well at this point, and joint committees have been with us for generations, and there are three states that have joint committees. They worked reasonably well in Massachusetts for a long time. They're not working well now. And uh, uh, it, the origins of the sort of change here was when we moved to carry over all legislation from the first year to the second year. And instead of having a joint rule 10 day, which is the day on which all of the bills have to come out of committee, early or even in the first year of the two-year term, it's now March of the second year is the deadline for all bills to come out of committee. And that allows for huge backlog within the committee system and the committee structure. So uh, we had requested last year that we move it back to January. I would prefer it be in the fall of the first year of the term. And the reason I think that that's totally doable is because prior to carryover, uh, bills had to be out the third week of April in the first year of the term. And then if the bills died in December, as they would if they were not approved by then, it would be uh, refiled if you wanted. And again, the hearings and the executive sessions all had to take place by the third week of April. So I think that uh, the first change we have to make is to move Joint Rule 10 Day earlier. And how, how would you do that? Does that require both the House It's and a joint the rule, and so the House and the Senate would have to agree to that. That's a little unlikely, isn't it? Well, it's a challenge, uh, but we just have to look at what happened this year to see how broken the system really is. I mean, basically, the governor filed 
four major bills, all of them in the House, and uh, they were all filed either in the first year or very early in the second year. And all four of those bills ended up coming to the Senate, except for TNC. So let me correct that. Three of the four bills came to the Senate in... Um, TNC is the transportation, transportation bill, bill regarding Uber and right. Lyft. And so uh, those other bills all came to the Senate literally in the final month or so of the session, and these were large, complicated bills. The energy bill came to us three weeks before the end of the session, and I'm pretty sure the economic development bill was only uh, about three or four weeks also. That's not fair to the Senate. It's not fair to the public. It's not fair to the process. But isn't it by, in the jockeying that happens on Beacon Hill, isn't that partly by design? I mean, it's... Historically, like this has not been the way it's happened. This is, this is relatively new. Uh, one or two bills maybe, jockeying at the end, yeah. All six of the major bills that we decided upon, all being jockeyed at the end of the year. You know, the only major piece of legislation that we did prior to, um, uh, I shouldn't say the only, but tr uh, the, um, the public records piece was done uh, relatively early. Uh, transgender could have been done last year. The Senate wanted to do it last year. The Senate accommodated the House in, uh, because it was in the Joint Committee, we couldn't get it out anyway, but we could have done a Rule 19 bill, but we didn't. We waited for the committee process to play out, and we got that bill after an extension in the middle of May. I guess All of I the other bills, all of the other major bills that we did this term basically were done in the final the final uh, few weeks and ended up all being conferenced at the very, very end. That has not been the way it's been historically. But I guess what I'm trying to get at with um, the jockeying issue is it seems to me like you have a the so-called big three, the Senate president, mm -hmm. the House speaker, and the governor, and increasingly it seems like it's two versus one. Well, oh, it's know? always two versus one. The issue is, is it always the same two? Well, increasingly, it seems like it, it is. Oh, it absolutely is. Right now, it is definitely two against one, and it's the same two against one. Right. But historically, if you look over time, you'll see that it moves back and forth. Right. Sometimes the Senate and the governor are aligned. Sometimes the House and the Senate are aligned, and sometimes the House and the governor are aligned. But right now, it's, it's, uh, it's very clearly the governor and the House are aligned, and the Senate is odd man out. And what are you, do you have a strategy, or is that just something you have to deal with? Or we, what, do you, what do you do about that? Well, we are public, and we do our job. Pay equity was voted in the Senate first. Transgender was, uh, I believe, voted in the Senate first. Yes, Senate first. So bills that we wrote that we had control of we moved expeditiously. Public records was done in the Senate first. So when we have the opportunity, because we have control of the bill, we will act, and we will act in a timely fashion. All three of those bills got signed into law. So just because there's a two-to-one alignment didn't mean that the Senate didn't help set the agenda and didn't help move the agenda and didn't get major legislation done. Yeah, uh, I guess that's true. Uh, and you're, you, as you say, you're just doing your job. But I, 
let's, let's talk about taxes for a minute. The Senate proposes, let's call it an Airbnb tax, extending the lodging tax to Airbnb. And you've also proposed, uh, let's apply for federal money to do a study of uh, vehicle, vehicle miles, traveled. miles traveled. Yeah. And the governor is starting to chant no new taxes, it seems to me. Well, and he's been chanting. He said he made a four-year commitment, no new taxes right up front. But is it interesting that, you know, unlike his run in 2010 when he signed the kind of ironclad pledge, he, he was very clear this year that he, this time, that he wasn't going to sign that. And I think the way he explained it is he didn't want to foreclose uh, the possibility of sort of rethinking or restructuring taxes. That It wouldn't, you know, he didn't want to see any net new taxes, but he didn't want to sort of hamstring himself. And and it seems like now there are some proposals that in some ways seem to fall under that category of of not sort of dreaming up new taxes, but right. the changed circumstances, Closing things in the, the economy polls. are changing, right. something yeah. like, you know, like the home sharing or whatever you want to call sort of the Airbnb mm-hmm. phenomenon that, you know, didn't exist 20 years ago. Right. So it, it, it seems, you know, reasonable that we're just trying to keep pace with things. But but he's getting a little skittish on on even things yes. like that. Yeah, and that, he'll have to speak to that to himself. We, you know, we have when we see the opportunity to propose a good public policy, we'll do it. And uh, in, increasing the earned income tax credit by fifty percent was step one. We need to do it again in order to get to the full thirty percent that the governor and uh, the Senate uh, set out to do. And the fact that we got half of it done this year, I think, is terrific. We're going to have to find a way of funding it uh, next uh, uh, term uh, because if we want to get the rest of it done, we need a, a revenue source. And Airbnb may or may not be that. But, you know, we, we put public records on the agenda. We put transgender uh, protection on the agenda. We put uh, uh, pay equity on the agenda. And all three of those got signed into law. So in spite of the challenges with the, with the uh, committee system, we're getting some work done. The problem is the public is asking for more transparency and more engagement. They want to know what we're debating, they want to know when we're debating it, and they want to have the opportunity to engage with us uh, around the development of the legislation, and and they want more uh, transparency and access to the system. And right now, the committee system isn't working in a way that will maximize that. Uh, when you have the six largest, six of the eight largest bills in the term done in the final three weeks, there's something wrong with the system. And by, in the, by its nature, joint committees are not a problem. If the joint committees work properly, it is not a problem. If they're not working properly, it is a problem. And you feel the moving up the... Date for reporting out all bills might solve that. It will contribute to solution, but it won't solve it completely. But you need access to your bills in order to debate them and to pass them. And uh, in spite of what was happening with the committees, we produced a lot of very good legislation. We brought stakeholders in. We negotiated. We identified the balance points in complicated matters, and put forward uh, very good legislation. Uh, some portion of which has now become law, but a lot of it uh, hasn't become law, and we can't make the House take up every bill that we send over, nor can they make us take up every bill. But if you look at the if you look at the data over the last decade or so, the number of bills. 
that are getting to the governor's desk is shrinking. The number of bills that people are filing is not because there are a lot of serious problems that we need to address which are not being addressed uh, and can only be addressed if legislation is filed and entertained and taken seriously. And, uh, you know, recently I've, I, I heard that a rep described the Senate's legislation and amendments as frivolous. Well, I, I want to have that individual show me which bills the Senate set over, sent over are, quote, frivolous. You know, we weren't talking about the state muffin. We were talking about, you know, the needs and protections for working people, for the disabled, for the elderly, all substantive bills that people brought to us and some of them have been pending for years without action. And, you know, you, again, you can't do every bill, but the number of bills that are getting to the governor's desk has been dropping. So let me ask you about, you mentioned transparency. The public wants transparency. So the energy bill, you go into conference, which is to the public, is like a black box. Yep. And what emerged, it seemed to this observer, was the Senate just sort of caved to the House on that bill. A lot of interesting provisions that the Senate put in, almost all of them were dropped out. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that happened? Well, I think part, my guess is they waited till pretty close to the end. They probably had the governor backing them up on most of those provisions they wanted, they dropped. And so again, two to one. That's my guess. What what do you think happened? Too little time. They they put the core of the governor's bill as the core of their bill, and they added only a couple of provisions that were not in the governor's original bill. The Senate had a more robust vision for what we needed to do to address our energy needs and climate change. And so we produced a larger vision. So we, we had literally, I don't know, at least a dozen yeah. or 15 more provisions than the House. And many of those had actually come out of joint committees favorably, but were unable to see the light of day. And many of them had strong support in the House. And many of them had strong support in the House and strong support outside uh, of the legislature. And uh, I'm not going to speak for the governor or his team. I'll let them speak for themselves. But it would be interesting to see what they would say about what got done and what didn't get done in that bill. So bottom line is the way the system functions is they put a little bit in, we put a lot in, we have to leave a lot on the table because it's one trade at a time. If they've got two provisions, they'll maybe accept two or possibly three of ours. They're not going to accept 15. I guess so. And that, again, is not the way conferences used to operate. You used to sit down and get the best and actually discuss all of the provisions and make decisions whether they belonged in the bill and whether they were ready to be in the bill. And that's not how it's working now. It's called trades. Conference committees aren't shouldn't be about trades. It should be about negotiating the best policy. And it shouldn't matter how many one side has versus the other. It should be what is what will be what would be the appropriate piece of legislation to put on the governor's desk. And if you remember when the House finished the debate, they said it was a comprehensive energy bill. 
So they had a couple of provisions outside of the governor's core. The Senate had maybe 15 outside of the core. How, what would, how would we describe or should we describe the Senate bill if the House bill was comprehensive with two things outside of the governor's and the Senate had 12 or 15? And look what was in there, RPS, um, energy audits, reviewing and revising our um, free energy audit system, Mass Save, um, EV. The governor signed a, uh, uh, a protocol that we were going to get 300,000 electric vehicles on the street within a certain number of years. This was a piece of legislation to take the first step in policy realm to help advance that. So. And, and I just could go on and on if I could remember them all. But the point pipeline is, tax, yeah. So the point is, yeah, and the pipeline tax. Eighty-five members of the House sent a letter to the Speaker saying, "We want a provision to prevent a pipeline tax." The Senate voted almost unanimously, if not unanimously, Unanimous. for that. So why didn't that come out of conference? It seems like the people in the conference really don't make a difference to me, because you had four supporters of that in the conference. The system is not working. Yeah. I've served, I've been in, the, in, this, uh, in the legislature for almost 30 years, and I've been on dozens of conference committees. These are not conference committees. What are they? Swap meets? Is that Swap what meets, basically. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, you know, <laughs> you've sort of, I think, said that because of this two-to-one dynamic, part of what the Senate's tried to do is sort of shine a light on this and be very public. I don't mind the two-to-one, by the way. That's not the point. The point is getting the bills out of committee early enough to work on them and be able to have an honest debate and then send right. them to the other branch right. and have the other branch take you seriously. Right. And, and I think but when, I was when, say when one branch calls the actions of the other branch frivolous, that's not being respectful or taking the other branch seriously. But I want to see where the friv frivolous actions were. But mm -hmm. you've got to mind the two to one. It seems to me that's uh, that's. Would a big I like part it to be two to one in the other direction? Sometimes, absolutely. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, we've got a Democratic legislature and a Republican governor, a divided government. So you would think that the House and the Senate would work together more closely more of the time, and sometimes you would think that the that the the governor might side with the Senate, and frankly, the energy bill should have been that, that bill. Yeah, yeah. If you think about it. So do you, I mean, I don't know how you would sort of grade this session or, you know, overall. Uh, overall, for the Senate, I think it was a smashing success. We reformed and retooled our internal processes so that all of the members could be totally engaged in helping set and advance the agenda. We engaged with the public in ways that had never been done before, including our Commonwealth conversations and building a social media capacity and blending social and traditional media in a way to really communicate in a more robust way what the Senate was trying to achieve and what the content of our bills were, was, were. Uh, and then um, at the end, we did produce good legislation. Mm -hmm. Some of it could have been better, but we did produce good legislation, but there was a, 
Not a lot of it. I mean, there wasn't a right. lot of legislation. It sounds like though. overall, I mean, sort of, you know, the tone at the end, there's sort of a sour taste to the way the process worked and, and sort of this, it doesn't, it feels like you don't think that this sort of frenzied, you know, it's roll not the calls, best. you know, up till midnight reflect well on no, on it, the system. No, but for, to the public I'm not, I'm or not to anyone else. I'm not Pollyannish about this. Mm-hmm. I know that there will always be a crush and a rush at the end. But when you are crushing and rushing in six conference committees on six of the eight or ten largest and biggest and most important bills of the term, something's wrong. Those should have been spread out across the term. The governor filed most or all of them no later than the first quarter of 16. In fact, I think most of them were filed toward the end of, either in 15 or toward the end of 15. So there's no excuse. This, this, no. And I will not, I won't stop pressing this until we find some reasonable resolution that we can do a better job. And Mm -hmm. this is not personal. And we can do a better job. Uh, I have one little sideline thing. Um, Attorney General Maura Healey recently came out with a fix to the gun regulations and tried to close what she said was a loophole in regard to assault weapons. Did did she communicate in advance or reach out to you in any way? No. 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 So she just... Did it on we own. found out the afternoon before. What do you think about that? Was that the right way to do it? I think there needed to be more transparency to the public that she was working on it, and there needed to be more consultation with the legislature Indeed. at that point. Clearly, from all of the lawyers I've talked to, they say the statute, she is implementing the statute properly. So this was about process. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who disagree with um, her decision um, are doing so because they disagree with the decision, but they can't they can't quarrel that she didn't have the right to do this because it's explicit in the statute, and the statute was written in order to give her authority to add additional weapons to the list uh, should the circumstances warrant, and she identified a pattern of, quote, copycat uh, weapons that uh, fulfilled all of the obligations uh, or all of the standards that would have made it uh, an assault weapon, uh, except that they did a little this or that. Right. So, So I think most of the people who are complaining, not on the policy side, but are complaining on the process side, I didn't mean it, but I shouldn't put it that way. There are people who are quarreling with the content, but those are people who don't like the assault weapons ban and they don't want any additional regulation or any additional guns on that list. The other side of the coin is the process, and that's what I'm hearing a lot of people on the other side say. You know, Even though they may agree with their decision, there was really a lack of transparency and uh, of consultation to let people know. Well, I think that that probably will be a wrap for uh, for the podcast for this week. So, Senate President Stan Rosenberg, thanks so much for coming in and chatting with us. Hope you'll do it again. Uh, my pleasure to do so. 
and you can subscribe to the podcast through SoundCloud or iTunes. Today's episode was produced by Aaron Van Leesten. For Bruce Mole, I'm Michael Jonas. Thanks, everyone, for listening.